All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen? Man, I love you guys. Didn't Pastor Corey bring the word last week? Man, I love it. I love it. Where's Kelly Blair at? I'm sorry. I had to do that. You're a pastor's daughter. You know I'm going to embarrass you. Kelly, this is Pastor Corey's much more beautiful sibling. Like the most best looking of all the siblings. There she is in all her mountains. No, but your brother flat out preached last week. It was incredible. It was so good. So I want you this morning to turn your Bibles over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. While you're turning there, we're starting just a two-week series. It's called Letters. How many enjoy getting letters? Be honest. Now, it's something in our culture we don't get much anymore. You know, nowadays we get um, text messages and we get emails, but there's just something about a handcrafted letter that warms the heart, you know? Here at the church, we have a woman named Sharon Deltzer, and she is so precious, and she'll send cards out, these handwritten amazing cards of encouragement to people. Oh, there you are, Sharon. First service, I didn't see you. I know you hate this, because you're like, this is why I do it in quiet, so nobody has to know. But I want everybody to know how awesome you are. And so, but she writes these amazing words of encouragement. And every time Amy and I get one, it just blesses our heart to no end. Letters are awesome when there is someone that has the time, the concern, the care enough to write you something. It means everything. You know, my, my wife and I, when we were um, years ago dating, I spent a year away from her. And so I would send her letters. Remember that, baby? And I'm, yeah, you do. And so... And, and, and my dad would call me, and he would say, Ross Allen, he said, he goes, um, have you sent Amy a letter this week? No, Daddy, I have not. Well, then you need to, because we want that girl in our family. <laughs> I'm serious. My dad would get on me, because he's like, you better court that girl right and get her in this house, in this family, because we want her more than we want you, you know? <laughs> I'm just being honest. And, and after 22 years of marriage, it still feels that way, you know? It does. But now my, my papa, when he was in the war, World War II, he would send letters to grandma. And so my dad was two and a half years old before he ever even saw his dad for the first time. Because dad, grandpa was down in the South Pacific um, um, fighting people, all right? And so he would write, I can't believe you can be in the war and have that much time. But prolific amounts of letters. I have in a box all the letters between my grandma and my grandpa. It was awesome. It had been really awesome if he would have stayed with her. But still... But I'm just, we all, I just don't want you to think it's like, oh yeah, pastor, their family don't, no, trust me, we got them skeletons in our closet too, right? And so, but with it, it was still endearing as you read these letters that they sent back and forth. And, and there is a communication that God has sent to us as God's people. There's this communication that God sends into the world. And, and, and we're going to get to that, but I want us to stand to our feet because we serve a speaking God, Amen. Let me say it again. We serve a speaking God. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it just says this. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he speaks to prophets. We get that. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all he has created, also he created the world. He, Jesus, 
is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father God, we ask today that you would just challenge us deeply, God, that as we leave this place, we'd be stirred to be the people you've called us to be. God, that you would help us, Lord, (coughs) to embrace the letter that you've given us and the letter that you've given to this world, and that, Lord God, through all this, that we would be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have your seat. As you're taking your seat, I said that God is a speaking God, and he has spoken through prophets, he's spoken through Jesus. We even see that the God of the universe, he's created everything, and that for eons of time, people would look to the stars, and they would see their creator, look to the mountains, look to the river, and they would know that there was a creator wanting to communicate something to them. And so with it, God uses a lot of ways to communicate, but here's the thing. Let me say this. There is one major way that God speaks to the majority of the people around the world, and I want to talk about that today, all right? How many here you think you know what that main way God speaks to the majority of people around the world? What do you think that might be? Yeah, 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 the Word of God. That's, that's, that's where we go. But listen, if your answer is the Bible, you're wrong. Eh. Okay? And as I say that, conservative people that are here are going, I am leaving this place right now because they're all going to hell because they don't think God's words. No, 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 hold on. Don't miss what I'm saying. I'm saying the greatest form of communication that God has to the majority of the people of this world is not the Bible. How many knows what an open letter is? You ever heard of an open letter? An open letter? An open letter is a letter. Have you ever written a letter to an editor? Anybody here? Any mean people here? Yes, John. Was it scathing? It was very scathing. I can see you being evil in your letter. I can. Ooh, diabolical, you know. No, he's a good friend. Right, right, of course. There's always two sides. And our side's always the right. I know. In the first service, Miss Barbara raised her hand. Everybody knows how sweet Miss Barbara is. And I'm just thinking to myself, how scathing could that letter be? You know? It's like, dear whom it may concern. Now understand that I don't mean to be too harmful with these words. <laughs> but in the most loving way I possibly can tell you, you're a loser. <laughs> no, no. <coughs> Miss Barbara's precious, but but not so much with John. But <coughs> But an open letter is designed to be this. It's, it's published for one person to read, but really it's published for whoever wants to read it. It's not just for that one person. It's for the greater audience at large. That could be an editorial comment that you do. It could be um, a, a, a letter to a dean of students or to an academic professor or to a president of a college. But the idea is the greater audience is intended for general public. Now listen, God has a form of communication. And like I said, I believe it's the biggest communication, the greatest form of communication to the largest majority of people in the world. Are you listening? God has a written, uh, he's written an open letter to the world. But check this, the open letter is you. You, your life, literally, is the greatest form of communication God has to the majority of the world. Now, now, I'm not saying to us as Christians, right? This 
for me, is the greatest form of communication that God has for me. I believe in prayer, God will speak words that are prophetic, and they have an edge to them, and I know God is speaking, and I compare it to the Word, and it lines up, and I can say, thus saith the Lord, and that's a beautiful thing. But it's God's Word that, that always I go back to as the most precious form of communication. Why? Because I'm a believer. It's my letter from my God to me. But for the world, the greater majority of the world, they don't care about this. It's not their letter. It's my letter for my God, for me, right? And I'm not trying to be selfish. I'm just saying. But listen, the open letter to the world that God communicates through is the church, you and I. And here's the thing, a lot of times as I preach, I love to preach to those that are kicking the tires on faith, trying to see, can I trust this God? Can I trust Jesus? Are these people absolutely crazy? Yes. And I'm glad you're here, all right? I am. But here's the thing you understand. Today I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to those that profess faith in Jesus, that say this word means everything to them. That's who this teaching is going toward today. All right, is that all right? Sometimes you got to come and speak to the church, amen? And so God is writing a letter to all of humanity, but the thing is, each of us is essential in that delivery of that letter. There's a story to be told, there's, there's a truth to be expressed, and God is trying to do that to the unchurched, those that may even be atheists and not even, they just completely deny his existence, but God is doing that through us, his church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this. Now, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he's basically, do I need to prove who I am again to you, is kind of what he's saying. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Watch this. These people, the people there in the church, you yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ. Ah, oh, that's awesome. You're an epistle. You're a letter from Christ. That's beautiful. Delivered by us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything. It's not our story. It's not our sufficiency. It's his story. But he needs you to allow him to write it through your life, right? So it's not our sufficiency. Who has made us competent, say competent, to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit of God, it gives forth life. And so when it comes down to it, we the church are an open letter read of men, an epistle read of of men. I want you to say this. Say, I am an epistle read of men. And you're going, a pistol? I didn't even know what a pistol meant. You know, Scott's like, a pistol? I'm an AK-47. <laughs> pistol, pistol nothing. I come with a rifle. So Scott scares me. Okay. An epistle, you know, a pistol just means a letter. That's all it means. It's not like the feminine version of an apostle, you know. It's, it is a letter. A letter read of men. And that's, that's who you are. You're a letter read of men. And so as a church, years ago, when we decided to name ourselves, we didn't just go with momentum. That sounds neat, though, doesn't it? 
you know. And then you can invite people and go, hey, I want you to come with me. Where are we going? To Momentum. And they would come and they would go, this, this feels a lot like church. I tricked you. <laughs> you're, you're in church, you know. No, early on, we wanted to say church in our name, Momentum Church. And it wasn't something that we took lightly. We, we did it because we felt as a ministry that we want to see God redefine his story one person at a time through the activity and the heart and the efforts of this house. Amen? And that's happening. It is. I, I constantly am running into people, especially when you're wearing the, the um, cultic I Am Momentum t-shirts. How many's had this? You have your t-shirt on, and you're someplace, and you're like, oh, I, I've, I've heard of this church. You, you go there? No, I just wear their shirt. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, my friend goes there. And then I want to ask, is your friend good or bad? Tell me. No, I don't. But when it comes down to it, it's starting conversations, and the conversations, listen, everybody, listen, the conversations are good. I'm so proud of you guys. I'm serious. I'm hearing of your genuine love and genuine concern. I'm hearing uh, of your, your patience. I'm hearing that you are good tippers. Don't you be wearing no I am a men of t-shirt. Mm. And leave a track. You know what I'm saying? My, mm. You know, best tip I can tell them is to love Jesus. No, no, no. You better write his love on a dollar or a $20 bill or something. But, you know, no, I'm teasing. But, but when it comes down to it, I'm hearing good things. It's awesome. And that's why we as a church, we need to embrace who we are as a church. We are the body of Christ. And here's the thing. So often, and I feel bad at times because I want Jesus to be seen. We want Jesus to be seen. Amen? But as pastor, sometimes I find myself saying, as Momentum Church, this is who we are. And as momentum, this is who we are. And, you know, with momentum and momentum, and, and it, gets, it gets a little ad nauseum to me. You know what I mean? But you know why we do that? Because we're trying to shape culture. I'm saying momentum, we want to be like you, Jesus. We want to serve like you, Jesus. We want to love like you, Jesus. We want to give like you, Jesus. Because when Momentum Church goes forth and we're loving and serving and giving like Jesus, people will see Jesus. Amen? Why? Because y'all are an open letter read of men. You are the number one form of communication that God sends into the earth to speak to the majority of the earth. I'm, I'm not saying this has less place. It just has little place to those that don't believe in it. But they're looking for something to believe in. Can you say that your Christian walk is believable? Jesus, help me. This hurts because there's times. I got a neighbor right now that's mad at me, okay? And this hurts because I know my walk with him strains. It struggles. And for nine months, every time I put myself back into the position to try to be Jesus, he acts like the devil. Not me, my neighbor. You know? And it makes it so hard. And I just, I just want to say potty words to him. You know, does anybody have a neighbor like that? You are that neighbor. <laughs> Good night. Nobody raises their, nobody raises their hand. I, I, 
I'm the reprobate preacher. I should sit and let you preach to me. Boy, I tell you. No. So when it comes down to it, you know, I have a neighbor I struggle with. I'm not saying I have this completely worked out in my life. I'm trying. I'm striving. I do want Jesus to be seen in us because God is telling a story. And he is writing a story through our lives. What is that story telling other people? Now, here's the thing. We try to get people to believe the Bible. We try to get them to believe this. And we'll say, you know, God is real. Why? Because the Bible says so. I don't believe the Bible. But I use it to try to help you to understand that God is real. So God is real. The Bible says so. Well, I don't believe in the Bible. But, 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 but listen, the Bible says that God gave all Scripture under the inspiration of God, under the Holy Spirit, and that it's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction. And... Stop! They don't believe this. Do you know why? This isn't their letter. It can be. This is my letter from my God, the God I believe in. And the words that I have grown to trust, that's what this is. Listen, the scriptures are God's letter to us who believe. Don't miss this. For those who do not believe, the church is God's letter to them. Ah, but Ross, that's so much responsibility. You are absolutely right. The problem with the church today, yes, it's us. And we all say it, I say it. Every one of us says it. If the church was more that, you're right, you should be more that. If the church would, yes, the church should. But you're the church and I'm the church, right? We're the only thing that the world reads. We're the epistle of God, the letter from God to them. We are supposed to be an open letter to humanity. I struggle with my neighbor, yes, but I do strive. I try hard to be that open letter. Amy and I, last summer, we were at a pizza shop, and, and we had our kids with us. When you have five kids, it's always a spectacle, and that's a lot of fun. And so we had our children with us, and little baby Arden was about six months old, and there was a couple that was beside us, and we started talking with them, and we found out that they were from Michigan, and they're kind of new to the area, and not connected, and I'm going, oh, fresh meat. But listen, it's not that I'm going, oh, fresh meat, because I need my church to be bigger. Man, I knew they needed the fellowship of Jesus. I knew they needed the fellowship of the church. I knew they needed teaching and direction. And as we began to talk, we invited them to come. And they came to the very last service at our old building. And what was so neat, if you remember that service, it was a testimony, old-fashioned testimony service. Wasn't it? It was so good. And people just shared what God had done in their lives. And yes, what God had done in their lives through the ministry of Momentum Church. I get that. But that couple, it set a spark in them. And they came back and they came back again and they came back again. And to watch Bill back this way, John's in Bill's seat. That's okay, John. You can write him a letter. It's all right. But to look back there at times and to see big old tears just, and I'm not saying you have to cry, I'm just saying to see Jesus touching Bill, you know? Well, well, yesterday, last September rather, they invited her daughter and son, future son-in-law to come, and they've come and given their lives to Christ, and I've been watching them grow in the Lord, and yesterday we got to take them to an altar, and as they committed their lives in marriage to each other, it was so cool. And what they wanted, they wanted communion. And you know, here's the thing. A lot of us as church folk, of course we want communion. It was the coolest thing to see the lights come on with this couple. As I offered what communion means in that moment, yeah, we want that. To say, Jesus, have your presence, not just in the ceremony, but in our marriage. Yeah, we want that. And then we talked, they wanted these stones. 
And so we use stones as a point of unity. And I talked about how those stones represent the rock, Jesus, that you're going to build your house upon. And when the winds come, your house will stand. And they wanted it all centered around Jesus. Isn't that awesome? A couple I met at the pizza shop as we just interjected the things of God in that moment. Listen, it is not our job to convince people to believe what we believe. It's not. But it is our job to compel them to the life that we have discovered. And as believers, I pray to God that I have a compelling life. And I pray to God that you have a compelling life. And I do mess up at times. And I'm not as compelling to my neighbor as I am to some people. But I'm working on that. I went back there a couple days ago. And man, within a few minutes, I was already going back home. I can't take it. But I kept my mouth shut this time. I spoke nice things. I smiled, I was cordial, and I got away from him as fast as I possibly could. Next time, maybe Jesus can be seen. Wasn't ready for that this time. Just being honest, okay? So, but when it comes down to it as Christ followers, if we don't live this, this letter that God has given to us, because we are responsible to live it, people start to lose confidence. And what it is, is they lose confidence in the Bible because they lose confidence in the church. It's hard for them to believe this when we're unbelievable. And people, they have. They've stopped trusting the word because at times the church is untrustworthy. They've stopped trusting the word because at times I'm untrustworthy and you are untrustworthy. And so today I want to challenge you because we are that greatest point of communication that God has with the greater amount of people in the world. And when you think of this to you, the Bible, okay, as a Christ follower, as one that believes these are inspired words from God. Isn't this sacred? Isn't this holy? Don't we value this? I can't tell you how many times, Corey and, and Kelly, I saw your dad hold a Bible and just, just hold it, you know? And just talk about how precious the Word of God is. I can just, he's a little guy, Pastor Blair. And just see him holding that Bible about as big as his half his body, you know? He's just holding Was he about 38 back then? He was little little. Wow. But he would hold that Bible, and I can just remember so many times him challenging us to value his word and to embrace his word. And so this is sacred, right? This is holy, right? This is valuable. But listen, if you're an epistle read of men, when you go forth, begin to realize that your life is sacred. Your words and actions are, are holy, and what you do adds value to the conversation people are having about God. Isn't that neat? If I feel that way about this, I want to be this to those I come in contact with. That they would sense something sacred. They would sense something holy. And they would sense something that would add value to their conversation about faith and trusting God. And, and that it would be something that would be very compelling toward the things of God. When we fail to allow this, though, God's word, his letter to us, to truly affect us, then what happens is we fail to be the effective letter the world needs to find hope. This has to have its work in us for God to use us to have his work in them. Does that make sense? And if this doesn't have its work in us, you know what it is? It comes across as inauthentic, period. And that's the problem the world has with the church. It's not that we struggle and fail and have ups and downs. It's that we're inauthentic in all those kinds of things at times, right? 
So when they are reading an authentic and effective version of God's open letter to the world, when you're living that, where this is valuable to you and you're allowing that value to be seen in your life, then you'll begin, they'll begin rather to listen to God's letter to us, the word of God. But it starts with us being God's letter to them. And so can I just ask you this? What has the letter of your life been adding to the story of God in the lives of others? Ouch. Here's the thing. This is a heavy day, a little bit. And the reason why is because Jesus only has one body. It's, it's, it, this sermon is loaded with responsibility for the believer. Why? Because Jesus only has one body. You are the body of Christ. You're the church that he has in this earth to represent him. And yes, your sufficiency can't do it alone. We understand that. But God works in and through us to show himself and to compel others to him. Look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to go back just a little bit. I think on the screen I have 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6. But I want to go to, to, to verse 4. It says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. You are competent ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Ross, I haven't even been to Bible college. You might, because of that, be a better and more competent minister. Just saying, okay? And if you're not competent, the Bible says that God gives us everything we need for, for righteousness in him. If we're not competent, then we're not allowing this to have its work in us. But here it's saying that he's our sufficiency. He will make us competent. And it is so important for us to embrace that because it's not my job to be a minister per se all over the place, although I do it and I love it. I don't do it because I'm a pastor. I do it because I'm a believer. Okay, And I do understand and know it's more my natural giftings. I get that. You and your shy self, if you allow God's word to mean things to you so deeply, his sacred holy and that value of God will come out of your shy self. And you may still be shy. And you'll reach another shy person. I think of Hannah Johnson and the powerful presence you have in the things of God. And man, you are a little bit shy. Just a little. You know? But that doesn't hold her back. God uses her. Amen. As a letter read of men. Amen. And she is who makes it possible for us to love Brantley Johnson. <laughs> teasing Pastor Brantley. We love you all on your own. Not teasing. She does make it easier. And so when it comes down to this idea of, of God having this new covenant that's written in our lives, this idea of God doing a work in us that is like this letter that is written upon our hearts, when it comes to that, we've got to be faithful to embrace that. Because that letter becomes undeniable. That letter becomes something believable. That letter becomes something authentic. That letter becomes something that compels the lost to find Jesus. Scripture calls it being salt and light. You know, salt, something that makes you want to take a drink, and that drink is Jesus. Light, something that in the darkness that pierces the darkness, and your light, and the life of your light, Jesus shines and shows them the way to the cross. Amen? 
God wants that for each and every one of us, but it starts with us embracing the fact that we are called to be open letters to a lost world. What happens is when we preach the Bible, but we do not tell its truths with our lives, we become proof that this is not true. That's what happens. And so often, I think the church, if we're not careful, we become proof of a whole lot of things that's just not true. And we become known for a whole lot of things that's just not the case, you know? I mean, what is the message of the church? I know. I know what it is. We boycott things. That's a novel idea. Right? As the church, we boycott this is what we're against, and we stand against this, and we stand against that, and we stand against, and we stand against, and we stand against, and we stand against, while the lost world is just saying, show me what you're for. And I'll just say it this way. We're Pentecostal people here. We believe in divine healing and miracles and signs and wonders. And there are people that will go through things where all they need to see is an intersection between their pain and suffering and struggle with the power and presence of God. And you have the ability through the person and his sufficiency of God, the person of God and his sufficiency, to lay hands on the sick and to watch them recover. To believe and pray with them, the prayer of faith, and watch God do a work. Or we can be known for boycotting. I venture to say let's be known for healing. Signs, wonders, <laughs> salvation, victory, amen, deliverance. That'd be an awesome thing to be known for, kind of like what Jesus was known for, amen? I think that'd be awesome. All right, I'm stepping off the soapbox. So what we want to do, I believe, is we live out as epistles of God, read of men. We want to live for the good of others and for the glory of God. That's what our passion is. That's what our heart is. The good of others and the glory of God. You literally are the story of God's glory in real time in the earth. That's who you are. And I think of no one better right now this week that I can just honor that is living that as Barbara Graves. You know, I teased about her earlier. She was in the first service. But Barbara this week was given the Volunteer of the Year Award by Arnold Mill Elementary School. Just right here down from the church. Arnold Mill Elementary School. That's awesome. You can give God praise for our Barbara. I'm telling you. And the thing about Barbara is this, that everywhere she goes, she's going to allow Jesus to be seen in and through her lives. Man, if we had 100 Barbaras... If we had a Barbara at every elementary school and middle school and high school in this county, oh my word, Jesus would be seen. Amen? You just, Jesus is always seen in everything that Barbara does, you know? And, and I know I shouldn't single out one person, but she lives for the good of others and she lives for the glory of God. And so the thing is, this word, how does this letter affect us to the point that we become a letter that affects the world? Ms. Barbara allows this to affect her so that she will affect the world. And I want to have that kind of a heart. Let's look here in one passage of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians, it says, If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory. Now, this is speaking of the Old Covenant and the idea of the Ten Commandments and the law. And it's calling it the ministry of death carved in stone. Whereas the New Covenant is that ministry of life carved on your hearts. Okay, But here it says that this ministry came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? 
For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that's the old law, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory. There's a lot of glory in this passage of Scripture. (laughs) Because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what has been brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. This covenant of grace produces in our life a story of glory that the world should be able to see. Sometimes, though, we take this covenant of grace and we say to ourselves, you know what, I believe in Jesus, that's all I need to do, and that's where it ends. And the story of glory just stops with your salvation. And I'm so glad you're saved. And I get to spend heaven, time in heaven with you someday. That's awesome. But I'd like to spend time in heaven with a bunch of other people too. And that takes all of us living the story of glory. That it's evident in our lives. Amen? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This letter that is written upon our hearts, God's interaction with us, changing us from the inside out, that people would be able to see His glory, that people would be able to know the story of God because you are allowing it to be lived out through your lives. If that's going to happen, two quick things and we're gone. We're out of here. The first thing, you're going to have to respond to Jesus' invitation to change you. I would love for you to just say it real simple right now. Just say, Jesus, change me. That's easy to say in church, hard to live out. I get it. Our sufficiency is in him, though. Amen? Our competency is in him. And so here we see that we need to respond. In that passage we just read, it said, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. It's it's not going to happen overnight. Be patient with your yourself, but be transformed. Be patient, but be transformed. It may not happen overnight. Be patient, but God wants you to change. Be transformed. Amen? And so we see here in this passage that God wants us to invite him to change us and to embrace that. Moses was changed by the glory of God, and people saw that change in him. God's word, God's connection to us, it changes us. And the more we live in his presence and we allow his word to have its effect on our lives, the more people see Jesus. We as a ministry are a come-as-you-are church. You know that? Aren't we? Come as you are, however you are. That's why we have Pastor Corey here, you know? Just... (laughs) Just to prove that, you know? But listen, listen. Come as you are, church, but we're not a stay as you are, church. Come as you are, but not a stay as you are. God wants us to change. And if we're going to be an open letter to the world, we have got to invite the change of Christ into our lives. The second thing, and we'll close with this, respond to Jesus' invitation to use you. That, that we, if we're going to be an open letter, we've got to be changed and we've got to be used by God. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. 
Isn't that awesome? It's kind of pretty. And if you look around, we have a lot of men in our church. I kind of stray away from pretty stuff in Scripture. I like things in Scripture where people are getting stabbed and stuff more. You know, there's some neat stories. But this is beautiful, that the story you share with your life is like an aroma. It's like fragrance that people just, Jesus is here. And that presence of the Lord, it compels people to him. Not throwing this in their face because they don't believe this but allowing this to affect us, to change us, and then allowing us to be servants and to be used in the house of God and outside the four walls of the house of God to be used by him to compel others to the heart of Christ. That night at, what's the name of that restaurant we were at? The one, the pizza shop. Gondoliers. Yeah, so that night at Gondoliers, Man, it was a busy week. We could have just sat there. We're not connecting with nobody. But we felt compelled. There was something. The Spirit of God was doing something, you know? How can I not be used in that moment to draw somebody closer to the things of God or to allow God to compel them through us to the things of God? And so as God's people, as God's church, I want to challenge you to have a heart to change and a heart to serve. Amen? There, there should be two kinds of people at Momentum Church. Number one, the lost. Those who are kicking the tires on faith, those that are trying to figure this out, you know, that should be a group of people in the church. And we have a lot of people that are trying to discover Jesus. But then the second is those who want to do something to make a difference in those people that are lost life. And you do that through serving. Man, when when you come on the property and somebody's waving there at the street, when you're having somebody's kid back there and you're doing nursery work, when you're giving of your finances and time, it just speaks volumes to people. And so as a church, I want to challenge us to be used of God in the house and outside the four walls of this house. Why? Because saved people serve people. Every time. And this open letter to the world is a letter written by what we do together, not by what we do alone. This open letter, people see us as a church. They see us in the ministry doing and serving. And and man, God can do and speak his word to so many through you. I thought about the idea that a letter on its own is not a story. It's just a letter. But you combine those letters together. Look at this. Today we'll probably have about 425 people with the three services. You combine all those letters together and we tell a story. A compelling story of Christ's love. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Find your place in that story. Those words carry a message of passion and love of God and God's kindness and tenderness and and his ability to bring people out and to bring people into victory. It's so important for us to find our place in that story. What would it be like if we were a part of a church, a church like this, where on a Sunday morning there would be no place for you to serve because all the places are filled? Every church has this problem. I'm just being honest. Every church in the whole kingdom of the universe has this problem, you know? Wouldn't it be something? Man, I'd love to be able to help with babies. Oh, we got too many people. Love to be able to help with the, no place for you. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's how it should be. I really believe that, that we are changed and that we, we serve. Now listen, I doubted, I, I debated to say this or not, and I really felt like I should. As a church, when we were running about 250 people, because we pushed hard when it came to volunteerism and to serving, we had about 160 adult and teen volunteers. Isn't that crazy? 
church of about 250 people. And, and we've grown, you know, however many, you know, 425. We've grown so much more than that. And, and here's something that I just really, I wanted to say. Sometimes it hurts, but it helps. Say that, right? It hurts, but it helps. And I really feel it was a prompting from the Lord about culture. I think people, when they're unchurched, they come in with no expectations, and they go, wow, I never knew church could be this way. I never knew the presence of God could feel this way. I never knew what it meant to be a Christ follower. This is incredible. And then you have people that come from other churches. And years ago, you remember, Amy, I was really rude with people that came from other churches. I didn't understand you needed seasons of rest. And so when people would come within two weeks of them coming, and I knew they came from another church, when are you going to serve? Well, we're not. Well, you need to go, Johnny wants you. You need to go to First Baptist. Those were rough days. How many was with us back them days? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of hands, obviously. <laughs> I'm sorry. Marty's looking at me, shaking his head. But here's the thing. It kind of created a culture where we had 250 people and 160 people were volunteers. Now watch this. This is something that I just think the Lord showed me. With that culture, create an environment where so many more people have come into. And what they say is, oh, it's one of the most authentic places. It's real. It's this. It's that. You know why? Because of that buy-in that you experienced. When you walked in, there was so much buy-in. All the greater percentage of the people are bought into this. It has to feel authentic. It has to feel real. Why? Because it is. Now, here's what happens, I think, in churches. People come in, and they pick up the old habits they had at the old places they came from. And after about a year or two years, you know what? At first, oh, it was so this, and it was so that. It just isn't the same anymore. Do you know why? Because you're here. You love me? Okay, good. It hurts, but it helps. What I mean by that, I think that's what happens in churches at times. That culture gets watered. Ah, oh, God doesn't want us to have a watered-down culture at Momentum Church. Amen? God, come on, amen. God wants us to invite Jesus to change us and to use us, not just on campus, but everywhere we go, God, allow your generosity to flow in us, not just in finances, but in words and actions and deeds. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I ask right now that you would help us to embrace this strong word today, and that, Lord, you would stir us that we'd be a people that would embrace being changed by you and being used by you to the degree that people will read what you desire through our lives for them and compel them to come to faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.